Good morning, Centerway Church. I'm Priscilla, and I'm so happy to be with you this morning. First, we want to welcome everyone gathering on our Sunday morning live platform, those gathered in watch parties, and hello to those watching or listening later in the week. A special welcome to those of you joining us for the first time. It may be tough to gather online for your very first visit, but hopefully you still feel at home here. I'm gonna run through some information we share every week that will hopefully help you, our guests, and everyone else know a little about what to expect as we gather and how to engage if you're on the live platform. If you'd like to share your information with us or update your information, if you'd like to give, take next steps, find previous messages, share this message, or request prayer, you can do that right on the live platform. If you're watching or listening later, you can do those things through the website. Also on the live platform, you can follow along with scripture or even chat, but feel free to turn off the chat if you find it distracting during the message. If you have questions, need assistance or prayer, or someone you know does, we'd love to help any way that we can. Email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. We have resources available to go along with the message you're about to hear that will help you grow no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. A few to know are the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals, which you can sign up for on the Next Steps page of the website. There are wallpapers to remind you of the weekly application question and a message just for kids. And what's really great about the kids' message is that they're hearing the same text we hear from, but with a kid-friendly message. If you have kids in your home, we really encourage you to talk about the application question together throughout the week. All the resources I just mentioned and more are available on our website. And one more exciting announcement before I wrap up, circles are starting this coming Friday. If you haven't heard about this new cycle, you're likely not on our email list. If you'd like to be, go to the Next Steps page of the website and choose share your info. Also, on the Next Steps page is a tab for circles that explains what they are, when they are, and how to join. This seven-week cycle will be a little different than past cycles. We're gonna start out in the same Zoom call and break out into separate rooms to discuss the application question. Of the seven weeks, five of them will be via Zoom, and we hope the other two can be in-person. The in-person details will be announced at a later date. Our kids will also have the same circle at the same time, and our student circles will meet on a different night. We're really excited to connect in this way with you. Now, here's what to expect today. Andy will be reading the scripture text for us, Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then you'll hear some ways to respond in worship. Immediately after the message, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Here's Andy with the text for today. Hi, Centerway friends. My name's Andy, and I'll be reading today's scripture coming from Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, 
and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Good morning and welcome. My name is Claude and uh, my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. So excited that you have the opportunity to be with us this morning as we continue in our series, Questions and Answer. Uh, this morning's message is entitled, Pursue. Questions and Answer, Pursue. Uh, we're finishing up the first chapter of uh, Mark and uh, as you just heard read, verses 35 through uh, 45. And uh, as I was preparing for this message, I actually had a barrage of thoughts kind of come in and um, I, I sort of want to start something off if if you don't drive or if you're too young to drive you might not know the pain or the frustration of what I'm going to share but if uh, if you drive then you know what I'm talking about have you ever been in a parking lot and uh, you're about ready to park into a parking space and someone pulls up and just takes your spot like right in front of you um, it's infuriating I mean I've had it happen before it's always super confusing when someone does it, especially if you have your blinker on and you're like waiting for a human being to walk past and they're like, and they pull in. Usually what uh, what I do in that situation is I will actually, as they start to like turn in there, um, I'll wave them on. I'll just kind of like wave them on as though I'm giving them permission. I think it just makes me feel better. Um, Meredith is like, what are you doing? Um, but I feel like that's a good alternative than all the other things that I'm thinking. Cause I really want to like put my car in park, walk up and be like, just out of curiosity, like didn't see the blinker. Don't care about other human beings, super selfish, intoxicated. Like what's going on here? What goes through someone's mind to do that? Um, until, until I was on a trip with my family, we were in Maine and, uh, at the time our youngest was fairly young. And so if you know anything about having, uh, young kids, you're just, you're trying to get a parking spot. You're trying to get as close as you can. Um, it was a lunch place and we were on vacation. And so I see this spot as I'm about to pull off this road it's open. I think this is too good to be true. Like there's this crowded place. It's a really popular place in Maine. And I see this spot and I just pull right off the road and straight into the spot. And I think, how did I get this lucky? That was incredible. And so I get out and as we get out and we're unloading and everything and picking up uh, my son and carrying him because he was kind of that age. And as we're walking up, I look and I do like kind of a double take and there's this guy in a car and he's throwing his hands in the air and he's like yelling and he's got his whole family in the car. And I'm thinking, what's that guy's problem? Like, what is his deal? And Meredith's like, I think you might've taken his spot. And I'm like, no. I was not, I didn't take his spot. Like, I'm not that guy. Like, there's no way I took that dude's spot. And so we walk up uh, the sidewalk to the this restaurant. It's kind of a walk up in order. And as we walk up, we see uh, this guy. And he is finding a spot up in a further lot. And then I realize, oh my gosh, the reason he was facing the wrong way as if he was going to pull out into the road is because he was actually backing in to the spot I took. 
Like he was literally gonna back in to our parking spot and I just pulled right off the road and took his spot. Like I'm that person. And so I'm just devastated by it. I'm embarrassed and now he's embarrassed because he's walking up with his family. His wife looks like she wants to crawl under a rock because evidently, I mean, I don't know what he was saying, <laughs> but I'm fairly confident it was not like, hey buddy, take my parking spot. Welcome to the restaurant, see you later. He was aggressive. And so like his whole family, he has two teenage kids, their faces are all red. They're looking at the ground as they're coming up and we're like holding our young children. <laughs> and uh, I just feel like I can't be that guy. I just can't be that guy. So I walk up and I go, hey, excuse me. And he's like, yeah. And he like looks at me like real aggressive. And his wife's like, oh God, please don't let this happen. Like you could just see it on her face. And I'm like, hey, I just, I want to apologize to you. I'm super sorry. I did not realize that you were backing into that spot. I thought because of the way you were facing, I thought you were pulling out of that spot. And now I see you in line. I realized I just basically, I took your spot. I'm like, I'm so sorry. And, uh, you know, I just, I have young kids and just kind of, you know, one track mine. I was desperate for a parking spot, pulled in there. And he's like, okay, all right, all right, enough, enough, enough. I'm like, what? And he's like, you're making me feel really bad. You're making me, I was like, well, I'll move the car. I was like, if you want that spot, it's yours. I'll, I'll. He's like, no, no, just stop. Let's stop talking about it. It's fine. Just let's stop. Like, and his wife's like, like she's almost like excited because she was probably telling him, you didn't have to cuss him out like that or something. But in either case, I felt embarrassed and he was like, just leave it alone. And the reason I was embarrassed is because in that moment, I had the desperation of a parking spot make me have a one track mind. You know what that's like, whether it was parking or if you've ever driven or not, you know what it's like to have like a one track mind. And so the question I want to ask you is why does being desperate sometimes make us unpredictable? Why does being desperate sometimes make us unpredictable? Just completely unpredictable. I would never steal someone's spot like that. I don't want to be that guy. I think the answer to the question is rather simple. Desperation has a way of removing kind of the proper and even the appropriate from a person. It like eliminates the consideration of all other variables because you're just consumed. You're, you're desperate for that thing. Desperation. You know what's interesting about desperation? Maybe you've never thought of it like this, but to be desperate is to be in search of something. You know that? Like in order to be desperate, it implies inherently that you're in the search for something. Think about it for a second. Everyone that has ever been desperate has been pursuing something, either physically or an inanimate object, something that you can't put your hands on. But make no mistake, they were pursuing something. They were searching for something to the point where desperation overtook them. When someone's desperate, I mean truly desperate, they become unpredictable, which can be either a good or a bad thing, right? Why? Well, because that thing, whatever it is, in this case, the convenience of a parking spot, as silly as it sounds, has consumed them. It becomes all-consuming. It causes a myopic approach, like they are just obsessing over that thing. They must have it. I can give you countless examples of how Hollywood has made billions and billions of dollars by tapping into this human condition. I mean, we watch desperate people pursue things at all cost, and we call it entertainment, right? Why? Why is it entertaining? Because it resonates. 
It resonates when we see someone that that's desperate for something. We we kind of uh, understand the rhythms that they're going through, and so we lean in. We root for them, right? And, and when we see the the star of the of the movie or whatever it is that we're entertaining ourselves with, get what it is that they were desperate for. We we rejoice. We can't believe it. Like a great story ends well, right? But on the other hand, when someone's desperate for something and it doesn't turn out the way we want. Devastated. I guess it's entertainment, right? I don't know. The fact is, it resonates because we as humans pursue. That's what we do. This morning's text is about desperation and pursuit. In verse 35 of Mark chapter 1, it says this It says, In rising very early in the morning, speaking of Jesus, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Now, it's interesting. Jesus, after a long day, right? If you were with us last week, we heard about a long day of ministry that went into the evening and into the night in Capernaum. And so he goes to bed at Peter's home and Simon's home, who we will later know as Peter. And he wakes up early in the morning while it's still dark. And he goes out, leaves the house to a desolate place. This word desolate place is actually the same Greek word that was used earlier in the chapter, but it was translated differently. In the early part of the chapter, it was translated as wilderness. Now it's translated as desolate place. What's interesting here is that Capernaum was actually uh, fairly cultivated, and so there weren't a lot of desolate places or wilderness around Capernaum. Why does that matter? It matters because you had to pursue a desolate place if you wanted a desolate place in the Capernaum area. So it's, it's telling us something about what Jesus is doing. Jesus, physically tired, so he went to bed late after a long day, got up early while it was still dark. He then intentionally withdraws and pursues a desolate place, pursues a place that offers him no tasty breakfast, <laughs> no comfort, so that he can, he can focus and reorient his heart and mind. In fact, he removes himself even from the temptation of fame that's building in Capernaum for him at this point. Jesus is modeling that prayer is not to get from God, but actually prayer is to get to God. Think about that for a second, because we definitely have it backwards. <laughs> in our society, we think, listen, we treat God like a, almost like a, a spiritual Santa Claus. Like we have this list of, of requests and things that we need from him. But Jesus is modeling that prayer is not to get from God. It's actually to get to God. So let's limit distractions. Go to a desolate place. Inconvenience our physical body as much as we want to stay in bed. No, I will go and find and pursue my heavenly father. We're getting to know Jesus as we move through this first chapter of Mark in some pretty remarkable ways. You see, our pursuit of answers and fulfillment leads only to more questions and ultimately a sense of desperation. We become more and more obsessed with that thing, that relationship, that idea of, of respect, of whatever it is that we're in pursuit of, we become desperate. But seclusion with God, it will reorient our hearts and minds. Do we do that? I don't know. I know I don't do that enough. 
We see now Simon, who, as I mentioned, we'll later know as Peter, in verse 20, uh, 37, says this because he's out looking for him. So he gets up. Jesus isn't anywhere to be find, and found, and he goes out looking for him. He finds him. Verse 37, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, the people are waiting for their miracles. How dare you come to this place? There's a line outside of my home and they all want you. What are you doing out here? You see, they're in pursuit of what they can get from Jesus. Isn't that interesting? I mean, as Jesus is deconstructing our preconceived ideas of prayer and saying, listen, this isn't about getting from God. This is about getting to God. The people are actually lining up outside the home he slept in, seeing what it is that they can get from him. And Peter wants him to deliver. The disciples are like, come on back. They're waiting for you. Like, come on, this is your moment. And Jesus' response, he does the exact opposite of what they want and what they expect. Doesn't that sound familiar? Like, I feel like there's so much of the story that I, that I can connect with. There's so many times that I'm like, well, God, certainly you're going to do this. God's like, no. Like, no, but you don't understand. Like, I mean, this would be a huge payday. Like, God, if, if you did this, like everybody would, they would be blown away. Like, let me help you be God. <laughs> you clearly don't really understand what's in it for you right now. That's what, that's what's happening right now. Simon is doing this. He said, come on, Jesus, they're lining up, man. And Jesus is like, you know what? Verse 38, here's his response. And he said to them, Jesus responds, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. What? <laughs> like, they, they had to be, like, dumbfounded. What are you talking about? Like, last night was amazing. Like, you, you healed everyone. The entire city, if you remember last week, the entire city shows up. Right? And Jesus tends to all of their physical needs. Peter's got to be thinking like, this is the way it goes. This is the story. You start your fame this way. You're, you've got it wrong. Jesus is like, that's because that's not what I'm about. I'm not here to build fame. Let's actually leave. But there's a line. Yeah, I know. Let's go. They're waiting. They're waiting for the wrong thing. I came here to preach. I came here to speak truth. Interesting. Jesus didn't come for fame. Jesus' mission was never miracle worker. Think about that for a second, because they and we want to put him in that small box. Miracle worker. No. Listen, Jesus' mission was savior. That's way bigger. That's way bigger because there's an important distinction here. Don't miss it. A, a miracle is about mercy for the moment. But Savior is about mercy and grace for eternity. It's much larger. It's far more encompassing. Jesus is saying, you guys, you're thinking too small. Like, I don't know that he thought this. Okay, so I'm kind of inserting this, but this is kind of my opinion. I'm assuming that Jesus is thinking on some level like, hey, guys, you know if I heal you, you're still going to die, right? Like at some point, physically, you will die. You're searching after the wrong thing. Because in this world, you can have all the miracles you want, but at the end of the day, you die. 
Have you thought about eternity? Have you thought about the big picture? Lift up your eyes. Don't think small, think large. Get this. The people were so desperate that they were pursuing something temporal. And as they pursued something temporal, they were missing the larger picture. They were just focused on their momentary pain, their current discomfort, the thing they could get from Jesus. Man, that's humanity, isn't it? That's humanity. Like, focus and obsess over the temporal. I I see it in my kids. I see it in myself. I see it all around us. Like, we get so obsessed as if this one thing is just, it's going to define everything. Like, come on, this is the big deal, isn't it? But it never is. Can God heal your body and meet your physical needs? Yes, absolutely. I believe that. But the larger issue is our need for spiritual healing. And that's what Jesus is trying to just drive home yet again. You see, Jesus was preaching the gospel while embodying it, and people were completely missing it because they wanted what they wanted. We still miss it. We still miss the gospel. Because we get so consumed by our world, by our worries, by what it is that we need and what we want, that we we become desperate, searching for answers. And all the while, God wants to holistically transform us. Verse 40 says this, And a leper came to him, meaning Jesus, imploring him, begging him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, Can you make me clean? So this indicates that that Jesus is in fact leaving Capernaum, that he's walking away on some level. And a man that we know as a leper comes to him and literally begging, if you will, make me clean. His desperation causes him to pursue Jesus. And he's risking his life to do it. There's a lot of cultural things that are taking place in this moment that we need to understand if we can fully grasp the level of desperation this man has. In this society, to come up close enough, and we know he's close to Jesus based on uh, some extra verses that we'll see in a second, Jesus is able to reach out and touch him. That's how close he is. And so in that society, if you came that close to anyone, let alone a rabbi or a respected person, they would potentially stone you. Like it was, a, it was an offense that could cost you your life because you were unclean and whatever form of skin disease you had was contagious. And so for him to get that close is simply unheard of. Leprosy. It shows a perfect picture of the holistic healing that only a savior can provide. I think it's strategically placed by Mark, and I think we have a lot to learn here if we can pull back the layers. You see, leprosy, to be healed of leprosy or to be struggling with leprosy was more than just a physical element in that society. And we know from the language that he used that he's actually Jewish. So we understand the implications. If he was Greek or Roman, he would have said, heal me. But he says, make me clean. He uses a language there that indicates that, that there's something disruptive about his entire life as a result of his cleanliness versus uncleanliness. You know. So first we see physically. 
Physically, his body is breaking down. He has a, a, a skin disease that is literally causing his flesh to rot. I won't go into all the details, but ultimately it would cost him his life. So there's a, a physical healing that this man needs, no question. Secondly, there's a social healing that this man needs. According to, to Jewish law, he wouldn't be allowed closer than 50 paces to someone else. So 50 paces, imagine that. And, and as he comes in proximity to anyone, he has to shout, unclean, unclean, so that people will realize he's a leper. Like the idea of, a, of social distance is something that we can't really fully understand in our Americanized Western society. Like we think like, hey, if we're alone for the day, like, man, I'm really socially unplugged. <laughs> no, imagine having to declare to everybody, I am a disease. Stay away. Children, stay away. I'm hideous. I'm rotting. Okay, so physical healing he needs. He needs a social healing. The third and final healing that he needs is a spiritual one. And beyond the obvious spiritual one, the spiritual one in the context of the society that he lives in. As a result of being unclean, he was ceremonial unclean. So ceremonially unclean means that he wasn't allowed to go to synagogue. So that means he couldn't go to worship. He couldn't go to interact and even hear the speaking, the preaching of the word or the speakers that would read the Old Testament. He wasn't allowed to even engage or grow spiritually. So this man is in need of, of healing on every level. A holistic healing is needed. And he doesn't say, heal me. He says, would you make me clean? Because cleanliness means full restoration. For a leper to be declared clean means immediately he can go to synagogue and re-engage with his spiritual growth, his family, socially. He's now engaged in uh, social interactions again. We don't know if this man was married. If he was, he's estranged from his wife. If he has children, the list goes on. We don't know the full impact of this man's life, but the reality is it's completely unraveled. And to be clean means a complete and holistic healing. And something incredible happens in verse 41. Moved with pity. We'll get to that word in a second. Moved with pity, he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him. That's how close he is. Touched him and said to him, I will be clean. The picture that that conjures up makes me almost emotional. Because it's another uh, level of awareness of who Jesus is. Who is this Jesus? Something really interesting is happening in the original language pity. I used to, to kind of hate that verse in the sense that I was like, what, like Jesus pitied him? Like, I'm like, pity? It sounds so condescending. If you look at the actual word, it, it means greater than compassion. We don't have an English word to translate accurately what it is that Jesus felt. It's connected to words for anger. So some versions of, of scripture actually say that Jesus was uh, looked at him with anger. <laughs> it misses the bigger picture because some commentators actually say that it could be translated as angry sympathy. And so angry sympathy, pity, eh, I guess. But what we see here is Jesus' holy anger, not towards the man, 
but towards the sin which has fractured his creation. We see Jesus be not okay with sin. It goes beyond like, I'm going to do a miracle or I'm going to set this person free. We see him literally like, this is not all right. I'm not okay with his physical um, decay. I'm not all right with his social outcast status. I am not okay with his death spiritually. And so what we see in Jesus, as one commentator says, I think beautifully, the language indicates leprosy was dispelled by holy wrath. <laughs> I love that. I wish there was a way to put that in place of pity. <laughs> you know, that Jesus looks at him and filled with holy wrath, the leprosy is immediately dispelled. Gosh, I love that picture. Jesus reaches out. He could have spoken, right? We see that. We see moments, and we'll see more of it, where Jesus just says the word and people are healed. He could have said, I will be clean. Go your way. But he reaches out and he touches him. <laughs> he chooses to touch. You know, their culture says that clean can't come in contact with unclean. If clean comes in contact with unclean, clean becomes unclean. Okay. I know that's a lot of clean and unclean, <laughs> but all that they know in their society is that unclean wins and Jesus being clean touches the unclean and makes him clean. He flips the entire script of the way they function. And in doing so, he's indicating that all of the old Testament has been established and set up and the law exists for the purpose of foreshadowing him. That the reason why they have a process to go through cleanliness is because they are unclean because of the sin of their life. And Jesus is saying, I will make the unclean clean. It is a powerful, amazing moment that's being communicated if you understand the context of what's happening culturally. I love that he chooses to touch. Physically, socially, and spiritually healed. He looks at him and says, be quiet. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody except the priest. And then he tells him to go through the process of the law. To go according to the law and to do everything appropriate. So that models something else. Jesus didn't come to violate the law. In fact, that would be sinful. And Jesus is without sin. He didn't come to um, destroy the law and be like, that's yesterday's work. I'm doing a new thing. You guys are idiots. No, he came to fulfill the law. And so he's showing him, go to the priest so that, you real, so that the priest can realize that which was unclean has been made clean. It's a powerful moment to establish a platform in order to communicate the message he has Repent and believe. It's not about something as simple as a physical healing. Here's the deal. This nameless man died. He died. At some point, he breathed his last and he died after being miraculously healed. It's like we have to wrap our mind around the idea that like this temporal thing is not what matters most. There's something eternal taking place. And so as a result, our temporal presence is for a purpose. Are we living purposely? Or are we just becoming obsessed 
and distracted. It's incredible that we're seeing who Jesus is. Mark says, follow him. Become like him. It's an audacious, uh, audacious claim to become like Jesus. In your desperation, do you pursue the answer? In your desperation, do you follow Jesus? Do you pursue the only one that can make you clean? I mean, how can we, right? We're spiritually unclean. So many people will say all the time, you know, laughingly, like, oh, if I ever went to church, the place would fall down. That's a modern way of saying the unclean can't come into the clean place. It's, it's a lie that our society continues to believe, that we can't become like him. But verse 45 says this, but he went out and began to talk freely about it. Now we're talking about this man that's been healed. He's been told to be quiet. And this leper that's been healed, he went out and began to talk freely about it. He is just openly, straight up disobeying what Jesus told him. And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desperate place, in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So as a result of his disobedience, now Jesus is thrust out into desolate places and can no longer enter into a town. There's something profound and foreshadowing happening there. He disobeys Jesus, and we're just like him, by the way, right? Our sin nature makes us predictable rebels. Listen, our attempts to to rebel and to disobey are actually proof of our conformity. We need mercy. We need mercy. We, like this nameless man, would rather live our lives the way we want than to obey the author of our lives. He has been set free from from an unspeakable disease that has now healed him on every level in every way. And he's told to do one thing, two things, be silent and go to the priest. We don't know if he goes to the priest. We believe he does. But he doesn't keep his mouth shut. He disobeys. He does what he wants. This verse is a picture of the gospel because we, like this man, are never alone because Jesus chose to be alone for us on the cross. You see, in that moment, Jesus became the substitution for this man. He said, you know what? I'm going to to heal you holistically so now that you can enter back into the town and I will take your place in the desolate places. I will do this cosmic cosmic exchange, a picture, a snapshot of the gospel that, that says to us, listen, we don't ever have to be alone because Jesus on the cross was willing to be alone. Our rebellion required his death. Our sin required his death. We are made clean because of his life, death, and resurrection. It's his victory over sin and the death that awards us mercy and grace. It's scandalous at best. It's offensive. It's more than we can wrap our minds around. And yet we continually lean in to disobedience because we become so desperate with the temporal and what we think our world is about. He is the answer. Jesus is the answer. He alone makes the unclean clean. Are you pursuing him? Follow him. Mark says, follow Jesus. 
are you following him? As you experience his mercy and his grace, then the only response that we possibly can have is to extend it to everyone we come in contact with. You see, a person learning to follow Jesus understands the mercy and grace we're awarded, and so we extend mercy and grace to those that desperately need it. We say every week at Centerway that the text requires something of us. And so I want to challenge you as we conclude with this question. Who does God want me to extend mercy to this week? If you understand what it is to walk in the mercy that you've been rewarded, awarded, who do you need to extend it to this week? Now, for some of you, the person you need to extend mercy to is yourself in the sense of coming into relationship with God. You haven't experienced that mercy. You're trying to earn your own salvation or you're trying to, to fill the God-shaped hole in your life and there's desperation around every corner and you continually have more questions because you're not pursuing the answer. And so for you this morning, it's as simple as a, a prayer to receive what it is that Christ has done for you and for me on the cross. And the prayer can be something this simple that you can pray in the comfort of wherever you find yourself. Simply declare yourself a sinner. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come and be the Lord and leader of your life. Acknowledge the death that he died for you and the victory over death that he had for you. If you prayed that prayer, if, if you've asked Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life, if you've acknowledged him as Savior, we'd love to have a conversation with you. And so if you've just prayed that prayer for the first time, you can click on uh, Request Prayer and you'll be directed, if you're with us live, to one of the private chats with our host and we'll walk you through the next steps. If you're listening to this later, you can always email us or reach out to us. Go to our Next Steps page. We'd love to walk alongside you as you continue and begin this journey. For others of us, maybe we've already crossed that line of faith. So who is it that we want to, who God wants us to extend mercy to this week? And I say to you as well, maybe it's yourself. Maybe you continually beat yourself up over your past. That which God has forgiven you of, you dredge it into the present and you continually maul over the failures of your life. And God wants to move you forward. And so maybe you need to extend mercy to yourself and acknowledge the mercy that God has extended towards you already. You need to be free. Maybe you need to extend mercy to someone by forgiving them. I'm always amazed and, and saddened by the amount of offense that people that proclaim to be Christ followers still carry when they've been forgiven of such offense. God has forgiven you of so much. Do you carry an offense that you need to, to just extend mercy to someone and say, listen, I'll be the bigger person. I forgive you, or I forgive you in my heart, even though I already forgave you verbally in the past. I want to challenge you to just consider what does it look like to extend mercy? Maybe it means missionally reaching out to someone, to the untouchables, to the people that are socially unacceptable or outcast. I don't know what that looks like in your work environment, in your school or wherever, where there are people that just aren't quite connecting. And you can bridge that gap. You can extend mercy to them. I don't pretend to be the Holy Spirit, but I know that the Lord wants us to have this text just mess with our hearts. That when we understand the love and compassion that Jesus displays, that we too would have a, a holy anger 
towards the brokenness of society around us and that we would actively engage with compassion and love and mercy. In fact, let's just pray that the Lord would lead us to whatever it is he'd have us do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we declare ourselves available. We pray that your spirit would speak to us, Lord, that you would make clear who it is that we need to extend mercy to this week. Father, that we would be on mission, that we would be in lockstep with your spirit as you lead us for your glory and for our joy. Father, that we would walk in the fullness of what you have us to walk in. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm excited to to hear the stories of what it is that God's going to do in and through you. And so we hope that you choose to share them with us. Hope to see you next week as we continue in the series, Questions and Answer. God bless. Hi, Centerway. I'm Meredith. Thanks for joining us this morning. That was such a great message, and I'm so thankful for how the Word of God encourages and transforms us. As you consider how you extend mercy this week, remember that it's an act of worship. And there are many other ways to respond to the text and worship with your whole life this week. One of the ways that we get to worship together is through singing, which we're about to do if you're with us live. If you're watching or listening to the message later on, you can find the songs that we're about to sing on Spotify. Search Centerway Church and look for our questions and answer playlist. But for those gathered on the online platform, we'll see you live on Facebook or Instagram in just a few minutes.